Well, last week we started talking about the vision for a church, the reason we exist as a body of believers. Our vision is a simple three-phase or three-phrase sentence. It's the outline of why we exist as a church, the mission for our church. How many have ever written a paper for college or high school? You had to write a paper, and you had to do an outline for the paper. Well, business statement's like an outline. Well, now we're going to fill in that outline of how we're going to get there. The main points of the vision, the main points of the outline are connecting to God, building people, offering hope. We talked about that last week. So now we've got to fill in the content. You have the headers, now we've got to fill in the content. How do we do that? How do we do those three things? Now, a few years ago, a lot of you know our leadership team, along with a lot of the Assembly of God churches, got together and we participated in a seminar designed to establish this process. We kind of put our heads together and we come up with how we accomplish this goal. You know, it's one thing to have a vision, but you've got to have a way to accomplish it. Our team developed our five-step approach to allow our church to accomplish the vision. If you want to connect people to God, we've got to build them up, and we want to offer them hope. Then these are the five steps you need to do to get there. Now, if you can see them, you can cheat. They're on the wall. They are, in order, connect, grow, serve, go, worship. That's the steps. So let's look at each of those steps. The first one is connect. Now, we talked about connecting people to God last week. But to connect them to God, we have to connect with them. How? The sign on the, the wall says, by fostering lasting relationships through love, encouragement, and empower. The scripture that Anna read this morning is John 13. says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you attend church. Oh wait, no, it says, if you love one another. It's not a suggestion. It's a good idea, but it's not a suggestion. What is it? It's a command. It's a command. You ever ask yourself a question, you know, what's God's will for me? What does God want to do with me? Well, this is your first step. You're to love your fellow believers. Being in the family of God is all about relationships. You have a relationship with Christ, but you also have to have a relationship with other people in God's church. And before people can come into a relationship with God, they probably have to connect with another believer. You've got to have an influence on someone's life. They get their viewpoint of God from how we interact with them and how we interact with each other. When you walk into a church, do you feel loved and welcomed? Or do you feel like ignored? Now, I think we do a pretty good job at that here. Easier to do in a smaller church. But like everything else, there's always room for improvement. We did a survey at our church years ago, our home church. And it was a larger church. And we asked, we did a survey, how did you feel on your first visit, the first couple of visits? And the number one answer was welcomed but ignored. Hmm. That's been over 20 years ago, and that phrase has still stuck with me. Why did they feel that? Because they were greeted at the door, where's Carl? Good job, buddy. 
Good job, man. We got people in this church today because Carl knew their name when they walked in the door the next week. You're the man. Yeah, you. Welcomed and loved. Making a relationship with someone who comes into our church is more than just a, hey, glad you're here, welcome to Dover. People should feel loved, welcomed, and appreciated. And it doesn't happen 10 minutes before church or 10 minutes after church. It happens when we spend time with them outside of church. If you really care about the people who come here, you spend time with them not here. What, do you go outside in fellowship? Do you get together as fellowship? Do we sit with the same people every week? It's okay to sit with the same people, but include other people with you. Acts 2.46 says, They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. That's a scripture we're using for the 22nd. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. You see what's happening here. They come to, they gather together at the temple. Then they met in other people's homes and fellowshiped, had their meals, talked about the Lord, praised God. And what happened? The last verse says, and each day the Lord added to the group those who were being saved. They were getting saved in people's homes more than they were getting saved in the temple. That's how you connect people to church. You connect with them outside of church. When we first got saved, one of the families in our church back home, every Sunday, we had Sunday night service back then, and every Sunday night, they would invite, you know, 8, 10, 12 people to their house, random people, and we were relatively new, and they invited us over. And just the invitation was great. We thought, man, we're new. You don't know who we are. And yet they invited us over. We had coffee and, and treats and stuff, and it was great. That's how you connect with people. That's what we have to do as a fellowship. When people walk in as first-timers or as guests, we want them to feel welcomed and loved here, but do we fellowship with them outside of church? We're a family. We should get together. How can we connect people to our church and ultimately with God? The phrase on the wall says, fostering lasting relationships to love, encouragement, and empowerment. Relationships you build in church should be long-term. We have friends still from my old church. They live in different parts of the country now, but we're still friends with them, still communicate with them. Anna's one of her closest friends. They made friends in the nursery when their kids were in, our kids were in the nursery. Still friends to this day, and that was f almost 40 years ago. That's how you connect. At our prayer time last week, someone said they feel closer to our church family sometimes than they do their biological family. Is that how we feel? I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm saying it happens, depending on the family. When, we, when I moved to Florida, when I first moved to Florida by myself, Anna came down later, first thing I had to do was find, find a church. My family's great, but they're not Christian. And so I couldn't talk to them about things of God. I had to go find a church and interact with other believers and just insert myself into the, into the church. My brothers and I, you know, we get along, but 
It's different. I love and care about him, but it's different than being in God's house and God's family. I wish they would be saved. We'd have that communication with them. Let me ask you, how many would keep coming here if you never talked to anybody, no one ever sat with you, or no one ever acknowledged that you were here? The first church I visited when I was in Florida was a 3,000-member church. I walked in, sat down, heard the sermon, and got up, and not one person said hi. Now, I'm a big enough guy, I could take that. But what if I wasn't? What if I was just a first-timer? No one acknowledged me. I'm not coming back. If no one said hi to me. And this is really evident with teens as well. Teenagers come to hang with their friends. They want to come and be with their buddies. If there's one kid in youth group, it'd be pretty boring. We have to have a connection with people before they connect with our church or even before they connect with God. I had a gentleman call me the other day. If you're on the prayer chain, you, I put this prayer request out. His name was Don. A few, three, four, five years ago, he used to come to our men's breakfast, if you remember. He was an older retired policeman. He used to come to our breakfast. And, nice guy, nice guy. Um, I, don't know what he, I don't think he was involved in a church anywhere, but he came to our breakfast. And we always would invite him. We'd send emails to him. And, and then he kind of, you know, stopped coming. Well, he called me the other day, out of the blue. His wife had passed away, and he's looking to reconnect, and he wants to reconnect with us. And that wasn't because of anything other than fellowshipping with him at a meal. It wasn't a Bible study. It wasn't a lecture. It was just breakfast. And it was because of that. Now, he's sick today. Otherwise, he, he said he was going to be here. We have to connect with people personally before they connect with the church and before they connect with God. John Maxwell says, people will buy in, if they don't buy into you, they're not going to buy into what you're selling. Anybody in sales, doing sales stuff? If the person you're trying to sell something to doesn't like you, it doesn't matter how good your product is, they're not going to buy it. So you have to let people know that you love them. Romans 12, 9 says, don't, don't pretend to love people, really love them. The second aspect of that is to grow. Promoting spiritual growth for all ages through biblical teaching. Connecting and fellowship and hospitality are necessary, but they're not the end of everything. You can get all those in a bowling league, surely. Or a rotary club but you don't have a relationship with Christ in those situations. Our job is to welcome them into God's family and then educate them and train them in things of God. The goal is to help others grow in their faith and their knowledge of God and biblical truth. Think of, think of being a parent. You love your kids, you interact with them, they know you love and care for them, but part of that love for them is their, your desire for them to grow. You want them to grow and mature and you want them to eventually move out of your house, right? Right? That's the goal. Now, it's funny. When my kids were little, you know, like, you know before they were teenagers, I said, I, I love being a parent. This is awesome. 
I hope I never, hope I never leave. And they got to be teenagers. Yeah, I did. <laughs> yes, I did. But you want them to be prepared for the time when they do leave. If you never teach them and train them and, and mature them when they're 20 and you've not taught them anything, they're going to be perpetual kids. We as, we as believers and as a church love and care for you. But it's because we love and care for you that we want you to experience God for yourself. If your only meal is Sunday mornings, you're going to starve yourself from God. If you never pray unless you actually need something from God, it's not a relationship. How many have that one friend that you never hear from until they need something from you? They call, hey, Jeff, how you doing? And you know they're calling because they need something. And you're talking, oh, by the way, can you help me? And you knew it was coming. If the only time you go to God, and I'm not saying don't do it, but if the only time you go to God is when you need something, that's not a relationship. That's a mooch. <laughs> you want to have a relationship with God, and then God provides because the Bible says he knows what you need before you ask. If you have that relationship, he already knows what you need. And then when you ask him for it, that's why we're fasting and praying, believing God's going to do stuff. We want you to learn and you grow in your faith. If you're out, by, I, I used to tell this to the teens when I said to them, it's, it's easy being a Christian in church. If you're out amongst the world and all this temptation's flying your way, do you have enough ability to stand? Can you say no to the temptation? It's easy to say no in here. But if you're out with your buddies and they're drinking, are you going to say no? Or are you going to go along with the crowd? Do you have enough conviction in your Holy Spirit in you to say no? Do you have enough knowledge of why you're saying no? Why does the Bible say this stuff? What does it say? How does it apply to me? That's our job. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then 2 Timothy 2.15 said, Work hard. It's talking to preachers, but it applies to everybody. Work hard so God can approve you. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles and explains the word of truth. Now, God's word has a lot of promises and blessings in it. But if you don't know what they are, how are you going to access them? How are you going to benefit from things in God's word if you don't know them? God's word also has a lot of things you need to avoid. Now, not to kill your fun, as the teenagers think, but it's to protect you from yourself. If you have younger kids who want to do everything by themselves, you don't let them do everything by themselves, right? Because why? They will hurt themselves if they do it. My grandkids want to help me, or help cook. You know, want to turn the oven on. They want to put stuff in the oven and put stuff on top of the stove. Well, no, you can't do that. Why? Because I'm protecting you from getting hurt. When God says, I want you to avoid this and not do it, it's because God wants you to protect you from hurting yourself. And how are you going to know what they are unless you study God's word and know what it is? We want to instill God's word in the smallest child through the oldest adult so they have a really good understanding about Jesus. 
We want them to learn from the youngest age as possible. Now, I personally, I don't think this church does. We don't subscribe to the thought of not teaching your children when they're young about the Lord. Allowing them to wait till they're older to see if they want to go to church. Yeah, we don't do that here. Do you do that for school? Well, I'm not going to make him go to school until he's 18, let him make up his mind for himself. Eh, I'm not going to make him brush his teeth. I'll let him wait till he's 18 to see if he needs to brush his teeth. Or take a shower or anything you make your child do that they don't want to do. At the end of the day, we are preparing the next generation to take our place. And we need to prepare them well. I'm a boomer. So my group hopefully prepares the Gen Xers. And the Gen Xers, they get up and they prepare the millennials. And the millennials get up and they prepare Gen Ys. After we love on them and introduce them to Jesus and help them learn, then we get to the next step, to serve. Encouraging service to God by using our gifts to serve the church and community. Every church is built on the service of yins. No church can survive if only a few people are serving. Now we just studied, studied, or finished our study on Wednesday night on the gifts of the Spirit. Every believer in every church has been equipped by God with some spiritual gift, one or more, or maybe just a special talent or ability that God wants you to use for his kingdom. Now, everybody here today has been the recipient of somebody else's talents, abilities, and more important, availability. If you enjoy walking into a clean church, thank you, Mark and Diane. If you like a nicely decorated platform, thank you, Brad and Kurt. You have been the recipient of someone else's talents and abilities. If you were here for coffee and donuts, shame on you, you're fasting. You are the, re- <laughs> you're the recipient of Gil's talent. And I could go on and name, name names and names all day long of people that have blessed you from their gift, gifts and talents. If you attended a Sunday school class, or youth class, or your kids are now in rock church, you've been the recipient of someone else's gifts. If you enjoyed your time of worship, it's because our worship team sacrifices their time to attend practice, and you've been the recipient of their talents, abilities, and gifts. And I think that each one of us is serving or can tell you that you receive more blessing from doing than from having it done for you. You receive a blessing when you do something for someone else. What's better to give than receive, right? When you give something that someone really appreciates, don't you, you get a good feeling about that, right? 1 Peter 4.10 says, each one should use whatever gifts he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in various forms. Whenever you're able to serve someone else in some other capacity, you're allowing the grace of God to work through you for them. You are God's hands to administer grace to somebody else. Matthew 25, 30, 
35 says, For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you or thirsty or give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will tell them, I assure you, when you did it, when you did it for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So when you serve someone else, you're actually serving the Lord. When you're in the nursery changing a diaper, you're doing it for God. When you're cleaning the church, you're doing it for God. When you're leading in worship, you're doing it for God. Everything we do, when you greet, when you shake hands, when you love someone, you're doing it physically to Jesus. For any church to be all that God designed it to be requires everybody serving in some capacity. I used the football team analogy on Wednesday night. On a team, every player has a certain position they play. They're different, and each player has a certain task that they're to accomplish to make the play work. The blocker is not the one carrying the football. But if he misses the block, the play fails. If the receiver isn't in his spot at the right time, play fails. If the player designed to fake out the other team doesn't fake them out, play fails. For a church to be successful, every team player has to be where God gives them the ability to be. Or the play fails. If there were no one watching the children right now, they would be in here. And they would be making noise. And if you're a parent, they get loud. And you as a parent would not have time to enjoy the service. For parents with younger children, isn't it nice to not have to be with them for a certain period of time? Come on. Amen. Don't you all like to have a babysitter now and again? Or just have time, you just can't wait for them to go to bed. It's 8 o'clock here yet. Please go to bed. I want to have time to myself. Well, the people that work in the children's department allow us to do that. Do we see a progression here? We first welcome people into our lives personally. We truly love them and care for them. We connect with them as a person. We care about them as people. They're not a number. They're not a a potential target. There's someone who needs Christian love in their life. I wrote here, it's not a love bomb. A love bomb scenario is when you pretend to love people until they come to church, and then you forget about them and move on to the next person. No. You care about them all the time. Romans 12, 9, I said it before, don't just pretend that you love others, really love them. So once you love them and you have a relationship with them, then you build on the relationship, you teach them about God, you introduce them to Jesus, and you want them to experience God for themselves. You want them to do it. They don't want to hear it from you. They want to experience it themselves. And then once they do that, then we allow them, allow them to use the gifts and abilities that God gave them to be a blessing to the next person. So now we come to the next step, which is go. 
empowering people to share the love of Christ. Now, this is sort of, it should be a natural phenomenon. In other words, it should occur in us naturally. When you experience love and forgiveness, you should, in the blessings of God, you can't help but to tell somebody else, right? You want to tell someone what God did for you. It's like the best deal you ever got on a car or the best deal you ever got on a purse. Don't you want to tell someone? Man, look at this. I got this $300 purse for a buck. Or I got this classic car. My brother was selling some of his classic cars this weekend, and he didn't sell for them. I want to say, you know, ship any of them up here you want. You just can't shut up about what God did for you. That's how we should always be. Not only can't you shut up about what God did for you, you generally want everyone else to have what you have. You really want them to have it. You're not just telling them to brag. You want them to have it. Now, we, we have the word empower. The word should have probably been encourage. You may want to share what God did for you, but you might be an introvert or you're shy. Anybody here an introvert? You're not going to raise your hands because you're an introvert, right? You know what? We will try to encourage you to step out in faith. You know what? God, through the Holy Spirit, will empower you to do it. Once you start a conversation, God will direct it. You've got to start the conversation. God will direct it, and God will give you the words to say, Matthew 10, 19. Now, I don't think you're going to get arrested, but when you are arrested, don't worry about what you're to say in your defense because you'll be given the right words at the right time. For it won't be you doing the talking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. And I think that's for every conversation you have with someone about Christ. God gives you the words that you need for that moment. And you'll say things that you didn't think you knew. Or you'll steer the conversation in a way you didn't really think you were going to do it. And God will give you what to say. Now that only comes if you're in tune with God. If you're communicating. If you have a regular prayer and devotional life. If you're not, there's a saying that says, God doesn't work in a vacuum. If you don't know anything, you've never read anything, God's not going to be able to bring anything to your mind. So you need to have it back here somewhere where God can bring it, bring it to the, the forefront. We always encourage everyone to share their testimony. We did that a week or so ago. The one verse is just to encourage you to share your... This verse is meant to encourage you to share your testimony. Remember the man born blind, brought to Jesus. Jesus healed them. And then the leaders were like all mad at Jesus healed them, which I never got. <laughs> you know, they're mad that this guy's healed. So they call this blind guy in who now sees. And John 9, 24 says, So for the second time they called in a man who had been blind and told him, Give glory to God by telling the truth, because we know Jesus is a sinner. And this is great. And the man says, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. But here's what I know. I was blind, now I see, period. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Then he gets abrasive and says, you want to be his disciples too? He's basically saying, I don't know how he did it. I don't know why he did it. I don't know where he did it. Here's what he did. I was blind, now I'm not. Take it for what it is. I can't explain it. 
Your testimony is the same thing. I was this way. Now I'm this way. I don't know how it happened, but I know God did it. That's your testimony. And people will respond to your testimony because it's you. They know you. You're probably friends with them. You may be related to them, but you give them a testimony of what God did for you. Either they think you're a liar or they believe you. And after that, your actions are going to confirm that what you said is true. I remember I shared this testimony once before. Right after I got saved, my mom, I, our pastor sent me one of those, you know, congratulations on your salvation, and, and I put it on the fridge. And my parents, they're Catholic, but they didn't go to church. And they came down to babysit one night, and they saw this letter on the fridge. And I'm walking into their car, and my mom says, what did you do? What did you do? And I try to explain to her what happened and all that, and she's like, okay. Now, a while after that, my grandfather passed away, and we're at the funeral, and my brother sits next to me and says, swear. And I said, what? Because I was, had bad language. He said, I want you to cuss. Say something. Say, and he says a couple of words. I said, I can't. And he stumps up, and he says, I knew it. I knew it. What did you do? You went and messed your whole life up. The actions were consistent with what the letter said. And now... As you know, my brother was going through some physical struggles. Who did he call for prayer? This guy. Why? Because he's seen it. And that could be anybody here. We're praying and fasting to experience God for ourselves. And that's part of it. When people look at you and they say, I don't know, but you've got something I want, tell me about it. And lastly, after all these steps, which are a lot of times are overlapping, they happen at the same time, we worship. That is teaching devotion to God through prayer, praise, and worship. Our vision for worship is to create an atmosphere that encourages individual worship by removing the distractions that keep us from entering into worship. So we walk in and we start singing. Now, I will clarify, worship is the entire service. How many know that? The music part is, we refer to as worship. But worship is from beginning to end. You worship in fellowshipping. You worship through singing. You worship through giving. You worship through hearing the word. That's all part of worship. But when we're talking about this type of worship, it's praise and worship, the singing part. Luke 4.8 says, Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. If you read the book of Psalms, half of them is about worship. Psalm 92.1, it's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. Psalm 103, praise the Lord, I tell myself, with my whole heart I will praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, I tell myself, and never forget the good things he has done for me. And the verse that's on the marquee, it says, let everything that sings praises to the Lord. That should also be a natural outflow of a Christian walk. Just like you just can't shut up about what God's done for you. Everyone should naturally want to praise and worship the Lord. It doesn't mean we're all going to jump and shout and sing loudly. But we should have a daily time where you want to spend time just worshiping God. Think about what God's done for you. 
Just the fact that you have health. I thank God every day for my health. I mean, man. I'm 65, so yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm approaching that three score and 10 point. So I'm thank you, Lord, for my health. And thank you for having a place to live. Thank you, Lord, for having a car. Thank you, Lord, for the food that I'm not eating. Thank you, Lord, for everything. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be destroyed, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. But then, the next sentence is, For our God is a consuming fire. So it sounds like you want to worship God. Because if you don't, you know, God's a consuming fire. And we've been meeting every Sunday night through last Thursday praying for specific things for our church. I know a lot of you have joined us and we're excited to see what God's going to do. One of our prayers and the biggest one I mentioned is salvations because ultimately, ultimately that's really in the end, that's what matters. God can heal you, but we're all going to die at some point. You'll have material possessions, but eventually they'll all be gone. The only thing that matters really at the end of the day is salvations. All the other fasting and prayer requests are linked to that. We pray for miracles, why? So the world can see what God's doing and come in and get saved. We pray for our property so we can continue to be as a church that people can come to and be saved. Acts 14.3 says, The apostles stayed there a long time preaching boldly about the grace of God. The Lord proved their message was true by giving them the power to do miraculous signs and wonders. That's why we're praying and fasting. The minute we lose sight of that is the minute we start drifting away from what God wants us to do. Because it's easy to get caught up in any other good but not biblical tangents. Now, I set a goal. I mentioned this during our prayer time. I set a goal for the church. Look at every empty seat. My goal, and I'm praying, and I believe we're going to do this. My goal is to fill every chair, every chair in this building with people who love God and people who need God. Fill this place. We have 126 chairs right now. We got 74 more right there and throughout the building. Second goal is to fill all of those too. Do you think God wants us to meet that goal? You think God wants people to be saved? But the goals can only be met by us as a church doing those five things and praying that God will do the filling. Who's gonna believe those goals for me or with me? Would you stand as we close? Would you bow your heads for a moment? I believe everybody here really wants more of the Lord in their life. They want God to take up more space in their heart and to continue to renew their mind. That's what we want. We want to grow in our knowledge of Jesus. We want to grow in that relationship. 
Maybe you're here this morning, you've never really done that. You've talked a lot about Jesus, or you've heard a lot of sermons, but you've never come to the point where you said, you know what, Lord, I know that in my heart I'm a sinner. And I know that because of that, I can never have a relationship with you. But the Bible says that Jesus came and he paid the debt for my sin, for your sin. His death on the cross was payment that you should have gotten and I should have gotten. But he paid it for us. And then God raised him from the dead to prove that everything he did was true. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. In other words, separation from God. But the Bible also says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The Bible says as many as receive him. It's not everybody. You have to receive him. To those he gave the authority to be called children of God. If you've never done that, you don't have a time in your life where you can look back and say, you know what, on this day, this month, this year is the year I got saved. If you're not sure, the Bible says these things are written that you may know you have eternal life. If you're not sure of where you stand with God, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that God wants you to make it right. The Bible says he stands at the doorway of your heart and he knocks. He's not going to kick the door in. He wants you to open it for him. So if that's you and you want that relationship, you want to experience what we're talking about here and what we've all experienced, the transformation of our mind and our life, really. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now. Hallelujah. Thank you. Maybe you're here and you're in the middle of this fast or you're thinking about it, you're thinking about jumping in with us, we encourage you to do that. But your, your ultimate goal is you want more of Jesus. And that should be everybody because we all need more of Jesus. So we're gonna pray that God continues to move in our midst, that God continues to grow us, mature us, and make us more like him because that's our goal. We want God to help us to accomplish those five things in the world so that we're able to reach people. So when we come before Jesus and Jesus says, who you're bringing with you? We can have a trail of people behind us are there because we were faithful to share the gospel with them. So Father, we do thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy in our lives and all you've blessed us with. You've been more than good to us, Lord, better than we deserve. And I pray that you give each one here a, a new infilling of the Holy Spirit, a new desire to be able to connect with people, to love people, to encourage people, to help them grow, that we're able to bring people into the kingdom of God through our relationships with them, Lord. And then allow us as a church to build them up and prepare them and allow them to reach out to their friends. We need your Holy Spirit to do that, Lord. So I pray you'd fill us anew and afresh, not only today, but every day. And let us be constantly in your word, reading your word, praying and trusting you that you will work through us to that end. So Father, I commit this church to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.